This is going to be a very practical message this morning. Before I get into it, though, I have a prediction. And it's a prediction about later this afternoon. I'm going to actually tell the future right now. Again, listen, it's just for one of you, though. Because one of you at 5.30 today is going to be sitting on the couch relaxing, and, and you're going to remember... You're going to be thinking about what happened here at church, and then you're going to remember that you forgot to pick up milk at the supermarket. And partly you're going to remember that because I mentioned this this morning. How's that for a prediction? It's pretty good. It gets better. You're going to pull out of your driveway and get to the intersection to leave your neighborhood, but you're going to be stuck behind someone who's taking forever to get out. And it's going to be a minivan with one of those stickers on it that says baby on board. And, and you're going to try to be patient. You're going to want to beep the horn, but you're not. But what you're going to do is under your breath, you're going to say, come on already, get going, you moron. And don't judge me. That's not me saying that. That's one of you. <laughs> and, 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 and you're going to finally get out, and you're going to get in the, in the fast lane because you want to get back home. And now as you're driving along, some hothead in a sports car is going to race up behind you and start flashing his lights. And you're going to look in the rearview mirror. It's three feet behind you, and you're going to see him when he yells, move over, moron. And you're going to think, how could anyone be so rude? And before you have a chance to pull over, he's going to go around you and race off ahead. My goodness. Then when you get to the supermarket, you grab the milk, and on your way to the checkout aisle, you pass the blue Doritos, which you get, even though they make your breath bad. They're the best chips in the whole world. This is a weirdly specific Prediction, but go with me, okay? And, and there you are, and there's just two more folks in front of you, and now as you look around that person up there, you see that the cashier has reached into her pocket, and you're thinking, no. And she's looking down at her phone now. And you're all waiting there, and now she's reading a text message, and you think, oh my God, millennials, and you're 45, so that's what you say. Millennials, I can't believe it. And now she's actually responding to the text message, and, and you leave the supermarket, and what the thought in your mind is, what is wrong with this world? What is wrong with people? And, and you're in your driveway, and you come inside, and you open the fridge, and that's what you're thinking when you put the milk down. What's wrong with people? But then, you're back on the couch, and now your mind comes back to what we talked about this morning. And then you're going to remember that every person who has been freed by Jesus' grace, and you're one of them, receives a gift that comes with a responsibility. A calling has been laid upon you because you're the one who, against all odds, God has determined to love through and through and deliver. And that's going to come into your mind, and you're going to remember that the responsibility that you bear is to bear with those whose paths you cross, to put up with the people who are challenging on the road and in the supermarket and back at home around your kitchen table and at work on Monday morning and even in the church that you're a part of. And the reason you're going to be thinking about that is because that's what I'm going to help you see this morning. And that's just one of you. And of course, I hope that more than one of you will learn this this morning because, listen to this, God loved the world so much that he gave his son to deliver everyone. The truest thing about everyone you'll ever see is that God gave his son for them. 
because he loved them. And that's the truest thing about you too. And more than anything else, my calling as a pastor, I believe, is to help your heart be open to the truth that by God's grace you have been delivered because he loves you. And then to help you live out of that. And the word we're going to see now is, is, is designed just for that. Look at Ephesians 4, verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. These words are a plea toward a group of folks who have believed and received the gospel. Men and women who, like the man who wrote these words right here, had been freed by Jesus' grace, given the gift of eternal life by God's own determination. Listen carefully. Not because of any deed of theirs. Not because they had worked and done some work of the law. Not because they met some expectation. Not because of achieving a certain level of faithfulness. Not because they had become good enough followers of Jesus. But simply because when they were dead in their trespasses and and the sins in which they once walked, just like everyone else, God looked at them and loved them. And and this love moved him to deliver them. The God who is rich in mercy decided to love not just them, but listen now, you with a love that requires only one thing, empty hands to receive his gift. That's it. And that's true about every person you'll ever meet. The love of God has come in Christ to deliver. If you personally can say this morning, by grace I have been saved through the faithfulness of Jesus who found me when I was lost. Is there anyone who can say that? Yeah, if you can say that, then please listen right now. Listen, these words are for you. You have a calling that has been laid upon you by the Prince of Peace, the Lord of Lords, the one who created everything who exists With that gift, he gives a calling to you personally, right there to you, to live a life, this is your calling, that is worthy, listen to this, that is to live with the people around you in a manner that corresponds with the grace you have been given. On one side of the scale is the gift, and on the other side is the calling to live in a manner that balances out that gift. That's what the word worthy means in Greek. It's a word axios, uh, axis, there's a balance You are called, listen now, to live like this. Look at how Paul continues. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. These are not abstract religious ideas. Sometimes churches promote the idea that when you get serious in learning about faith, it's doctrine, which are like definitions that you're supposed to write in the part of your brain that is like the religious part, and that can stay separate from the rest of your life, which is other stuff. No, this right here is instruction for how to comport yourself when you're driving to the supermarket. That's what it is. For how to see the other when you're waiting online and it's taking too long. Or for how to carry yourself when you're around the dinner table. When you're arguing with your spouse after the kids went to bed and you're trying to keep your voices down, but it's hard. For how to talk to your friends about politics. I knew that would make everybody quiet. (laughs) When you're trying to make progress with a team of people at church and not everybody sees things the same way. And listen to this, please. Some of you are so deeply wounded in your hearts because 
those who go by the name of Christian, those who have been a part of the community of faith, have so miserably failed at just this calling that it's a miracle that you're even still in church. But here you are, and here's why you're here. Trust me. Because God wants you to become someone who grows, who grows in humility, who becomes increasingly gentle, who becomes more and more patient, not so you can get something from God. No, Paul would never write like that because God has given everything already. Why did he do that? So that we as a community could become those who who grow in this way. Look, let's slow down right here. Who are working at bearing with. That instruction right there is a single word in Greek and it carries a lot of meaning. Uh, Bearing with can first of all mean to support. Like a load-bearing wall supports the ceiling and the structure above, bearing with means to hold up so that it won't fall down. And now, I want you to try this. Use your imagination. Think about the people who you're path is crossing with. Do some of them need someone to help hold them up? Bearing with can also mean tolerate. Like when someone's a presenter and the sound system isn't working and and she says, bear with us for a minute. Uh, Same word in Greek, hang in there even though you want to check out because this is a time of inconvenience, but you're going to choose to keep going. Tolerate. That's the second way the word functions. The third way is, is this. This is the most severe. Bearing with can also mean endure. And now here, do think about relationships or the people that you are close to, and it's hardest maybe with the ones we're closest to, don't you think? I saw someone say that loudly, and then the person beside them looked, what? <laughs> like when you have to fight your way through an impossible situation, it feels unbearable. And, and the reason you keep going, you endure it, is because you know you must. In this instruction, which is given to the people at the church in Ephesus first, but I think it's for us too, there is an implicit message which we don't talk about too often because it's impolite, but we all know it deep down inside. In order to get along with each other, we have to bear with one another because people are burdensome. Do you think that's true? Of course. People are unreliable. They're self-centered and jealous and petty. They can be inconsiderate and lazy, demanding, touchy, oversensitive, insensitive, foolish, know-it-alls, bossy, passive, ill-tempered, changeable, stubborn, disloyal, inflexible, untrustworthy, fake, arrogant, chronically negative, cold, hot-tempered, bullies, pushovers, nagging, detached, unmotivated, manipulative, and just plain annoying. Do you think I've gone too far? No, if I slowed that down and you were honest, I bet every one of you, you could see at least half a dozen people in your own life who match those descriptions, can't you? Now, if you can, listen to me. Each one of them has been sent to you by God as an opportunity for you to grow as a disciple and to show that you believe in the grace which you have received. And they might be shocked to hear that notion but rather the truth about them is God sending them to you as an emissary to give you the opportunity to reflect his love and mercy and grace, which is for you and for them too. And so they are the ones that you are called to bear with. They're the ones 
who you get to reflect this gift of God's grace to so that he uses you to be his miracle in their lives. And he's just wanting you to be built up even now this morning so that you can become that. And if you're thinking, how could that happen? How could I do that? It's too hard for me to even imagine those six. Let me tell you something about you. I promise you that you are right now in someone else's mind because you are also a burden. Ooh. You need them to bear with you. And here you are, and you might not see this, but here you are, the magnificent man that you've become, even with all your faults still, the wonderful woman that you're growing to be because others have have been bearing with you so long. Your mom and dad did, even if they were bad mom and dad, I bet they did. Your grandparents did and your friends do and your spouses, even though it doesn't feel like it. Here we are, all of us, the benefactors of already following this path, which Jesus himself invites us to be on so that we can be his people. And the path, again, let's really take our time here, is to be bearing with one another. Do you see those two words? I want to slow down and answer the question, who is this? The author of the words that we read from Ephesus here, he envisioned a community of Christ followers, people who were working at following after Jesus, whose lives overlapped significantly, who bumped into each other a lot. And he tells them that they must be willing to bear with one another because they are going to be burdensome to one another. And this is critical. The only way God is going to make them into the wonderful instrument of his blessing that he means them to be in the world is when they decide to choose to bear with each other rather than giving up. And this is very, very important. That the end goal is not just that your personal life improves, but rather that the community of faith that God has made to be the instrument of his mission. And that's what the church is, okay? It is meant to enrich you personally and me. It's meant to help us grow and thrive. It's meant to to help us put behind ourselves all of those bad old habits and to to become more and more like Christ. But ultimately, the goal is this this instrument here is going to be a tool that God uses to bless the world, which is just dying for God's blessing. But only when we stick together will that happen. If we pull apart and go away from one another, it just won't happen. And that's partly why Paul told those folks in Ephesus, you have to decide to accept the calling that's on you. And that means supporting someone in the community who needs it, or otherwise she will fall down. Do you know anyone like that at church? If you don't, then you have to get to know more people at church. Tolerating those behavioral quirks of that other person who's just annoying and, and, and doing that because you know that you need the relationship to keep on going because the mission you have is more important than your personal comfort when you're around them. We're here enduring the difficulty that comes with this other person. And some of you are, are just enduring the difficulty of the person that you're closest to. And God bless you as you do it. But you must keep going for the sake of some greater good. And that's what Paul has in mind here. I want to be as specific as possible. And I'm going to talk about this room that I'm standing in front of right now. Someone here is a daughter who is on the verge of collapse because of how hard it is to be a teenager in 2020. She's struggling with friendships and identity and the expectations her parents have for her and her teachers and her peers and the crushing pressure of being evaluated all the time on the internet. And all of us who are beyond that generation can't even imagine how hard it is to be her. And what she needs is her parents to go on bearing with her. And when they 
are at their wit's end. She needs a church in which she is free to open up to someone and say, here is what I'm facing. And then to be received by that other person with an assurance that she'll get the support that she needs. Can you see that? And that's what God wants us to be. Or someone else here is a wife who has a husband who is detached and drifting and unavailable emotionally. He's carrying wounds that he does not know how to face. He doesn't mean to hurt her with his distance. His strategy of avoiding is just what he can do so that he doesn't make her feel any more desperately lonely. And of course, they both need professional help, but until healing and deliverance comes, she is going to need the strength to go on tolerating this really difficult situation. Do you see that? And what she needs is a church in which she can take a friend aside to tell them about her situation who will listen with an open heart and mind. And while, while she's sharing, who will be bringing her needs before the Lord, who knows but also wants others to come and, and to, to help her and, and to support her. And that's what Paul has in mind with these two words, one another. And, and if, if neither one of those is close to you, I'll tell you 15 feet from you, there's somebody who who's facing what I've just described. There's a husband nearby today whose wife resents him so deeply that every interaction has turned into an attack between the both of them. Always being blamed, always being accused. There's nothing he can do to make it right. He's going to have to continue working at bearing with her, but not to stay there forever, but to hold on until God's deliverance comes. And what he needs, what they need, is a church in which he can go out with a few guys and cut through the small talk and say, I'm struggling. You think my marriage is good. It's not. I need help. I need you to lift me up. He needs to know that they will receive him just where he is and hang in there with him. That's who this one another is. I bet most of you think you're struggling more than the people around you are. And and listen, what we need and what has been magnificently provided for us by God's grace is a community where we can start off, all of us, by saying, if I know one thing about me, it's that God has decided to love me through and through and has delivered me from every prison, wherever I found myself locked up. By his grace, the doors are open, the chain has been pulled off, I'm completely free because that's who God has decided to be. And that's not only true about me, but of all the people that I meet, the ones who believe it and have accepted it already, and the ones who don't know it yet, that's the truth about them. And now I can look around me, and this is exactly what I do want you to do. And this is not a prediction for later, but what I'm asking you to do right now to see that God has provided you with brothers and sisters who also need him and who have been, uh, have been given the gift of you and all of us around here, potentially to become the ones who hold each other up, who tolerate one another. Does anybody else need from time to time to be tolerated? Yes or no? To be endured through this so that we become, so that we become together this great and, and wonderful gift that God means us to become. How will it happen? And here I want to be as practical as I can. I mean, I'm really asking a practical question because if if this cannot be put into practice, then it is just abstract ideas. But it's not that, I assure you. And there is a a very clear hint, and it is profound and magnificent And how this comes about. It's in the next two words, in love. That is what it will take. That is how it will happen that you will bear with the people around you. That is how God will turn his miraculous gift of deliverance to every person who has received it into light for the people around him 
or her. It is when they determine first and foremost to walk in love. Here again, we need to take our time. Love in the way that Paul uses the word here, it requires of us, and this is a demand that you have put upon you, if you will receive the gift of God's grace, your calling is to walk in love, which requires, first of all, vulnerability. And here's what I mean by that. Love opens us to be real with the people around us instead of going on carrying our challenges all alone and in private. And this is counterintuitive because we might think the first thing I'm supposed to do if I'm going to do something that is loving is go out there and help another person who's wounded. But before you can even get there, you need to be real with the own, your own brokenness and the ways that you actually need other people to bear with you even though you wish it weren't true. And that's number one. And that means if you're struggling or if you have some personality issue that you're trying your best to work out, but people still have to tolerate you, or you're such a mess that the only way they're going to hang in is if they endure, you have to be honest about that first. And that is the first way you and we and together as a group are going to go ahead and move forward in, in being successful at bearing with one another. It's going to be in love. And that means giving up image management. And, and choosing to be real, not with everybody, okay? We can't manage that. Agreed? But with some people, you need to sit down and let them see where everything is not okay. Uh, and be honest about where you need help. And I'm telling you right now, if you do that, you will have taken the first definitive step toward being serviceable as someone who bears with others in the community of faith, and it's what God wants. Michelle and I have friends who from the outside looked like their marriage was great. About two years ago, he reached out to me in the morning. She reached out to Michelle on the same morning with a phone call, and he said to me, Christian, I need to come and sit down with you because I'm at my wit's end. I can't manage this anymore. And the word divorce came up. She said the same thing to Michelle. They both came over to our house that day and sat down at our kitchen table and the four of us sat together. We prayed and then for about 15 minutes, he talked about how insufferable she was right there with her there about all the things about her that made it impossible to love her, about how angry he was at her. This happened right there in our kitchen. He finished, she did the same thing. We listened and then we split up. I went on a long walk with him, Michelle, with her. I prayed for him. I cheered him on, I held him up, I told him the truth, and that couple from there worked at it, and they're still working at it, and you know their relationship is really strong right now? Yeah, not because everything's perfect, but because they reached out to the community of faith who has a calling on their lives to bear with, and they invited us to do that, and we've been able to do that. And what God means for you to do, first of all, is to be vulnerable with the people around you in the community of faith to say, I'm not okay, and here's where I need someone to bear with me. Loving others means, first of all, being vulnerable enough to be real and open up with them. That's first. Now there's a second thing. And the second thing is more mundane, but it's just as important as the first. Do you need to take a deep breath before we get to the second thing? I can see some of you seem tense. Seriously, let's do this. Breathe breathe deep. To go on bearing with one another in love will require a new way of seeing others. And that also is an act of love. In particular, you will have to choose not to only see things from the perspective in which you put yourself at the center, as you will naturally do all the time, and then instead 
Let the other person be in the center. Do you know what I mean when I say that you will tend to see everything as if you are in the center? Yes or no? When that guy is not pulling out as fast as you like, you will feel that it is a personal affront to your God-given rights when you see that from your own perspective. And that child right there is like, when I start driving, yeah. (laughs) Or when that guy wants to go faster than you want to go, you are going to think, quit being so impatient since you experience his being in a rush only as it impacts you. You're not thinking about what's going on for him because you're in the center. Or when that girl is on her cell phone, it never crosses your mind to wonder what she's reading on that screen. The only thing you see is someone who is making you wait and wasting 15 seconds of your life. How could she possibly waste 15? It's 15, you're never, right? And you're gonna call her a millennial and you don't know how hard it is to be a millennial because you're like 45 or 50. Would you be honest? Have you done that? I have. That's what it's like when you see, your, see everything with you at the center and without being conscious of it, that's gonna be our default way of looking at the world around us. Not only when we're driving to the supermarket, but at work on Monday and at school throughout the week and in our families especially. And I haven't brought this up, but sometimes the ones that are hardest to bear with are the ones that were right there beside day after day after day. I have been a pastor for a pretty long time, and I'm going to tell you that it would be hard to overestimate just how many conflicts and problems in families have their roots in our habit of seeing everything only with us at the center. You can either trust me on that or not, but I promise it's true. Love is not only being vulnerable, but it's a different way of seeing. And that is a conscious choice that every one of you has, has the ability to make because of the way God has made you. You can actually choose love, which requires you to take yourself out of the center and see things from the perspective of the other person, giving them the center. If that sounds easy to you, you are not following what I'm saying because the truth about love, which consciously gives the other person the center, is that it is completely unnatural. Being self-centered is almost as natural as breathing. It runs against everything that you are used to and even conditioned toward, and it will always cost you to love someone. And I'm going to tell you this. There may be a reward to this discipline, but probably most of the time it will cost you as much or more than you get back to love people in this way. It really will. Of course, listen now, of course there will be a day when everything you've lost for love has been redeemed in a way that goes beyond what you could dare dream or even imagine because that's what God is like. But for now, and this is where we are, right? We are all right here, right now. For now, the choice that you are called to make by God who is your sovereign king and who gave his life for everyone you've ever met and you too is to bear with one another in love. And whether you choose that or not is going to make the most unbelievable difference in your life and in the lives of people around you. And I'm going to tell you what. The truth truth is, this is the truth, the most sensible decision that any person can make is to love people. The world doesn't tell us that, but it's wrong. And I'll tell you, even from a, a perspective that doesn't believe in God at all, The wisest and best thing to do is to see every moment from the perspective of the other. It's what the world needs. It's one of the reasons we're in such disarray is we've been 
habitually pushed to the place where we always put ourselves at the center. But if you are a person here this morning who does believe in Jesus, then you are, you are commanded by him to love and to walk in love and to see in love. And the reason that makes sense, listen to me, is because here's the thing. Maybe that guy in the minivan with the baby on board sticker had to buy a van like that because he was impatient once and he pulled out when he shouldn't have and there was a terrible car accident and now his daughter's at home in a wheelchair and that's never gonna change because he was in too much of a rush and you just don't know it. And that's why he's taking a long time. Maybe the hothead in the sports car is in a rush to get to the hospital because in the back seat is his son who's having an epileptic seizure. And the reason he bought that sports car is when the diagnosis came to his family and they said, someday the seizure might come on so fast you won't have time to get an ambulance. He bought that car in this injustice event and that's why he's in a rush to get to the hospital. Or maybe that girl with her cell phone is so deeply depressed because she has to work a a minimum wage job that is completely thankless, that only ever makes people annoyed. And the reason she's got her phone on is she can't take an hour off to take a job interview. And maybe she's waiting to hear that possibly there's some relief because it's just so burdensome to be where she is. And if we were there, we would understand. But maybe that's why. And and, and everybody else, literally everybody else who's burdensome to you, maybe they have a story behind them too. Maybe they don't, all right? Maybe they don't. But what have you got to lose if you decide to love by giving them that benefit. And I'm asking you now to do this. Extend that benefit in your imagination right now to the most burdensome people, people in your lives. Do it. Bear with one another in love. This is not my advice. It's not. It's not the thing that I want you to do. It is your calling that comes to you from the one who rescued you and delivered you from the darkness, from the kingdom of darkness and transposed you into the kingdom of his son so that your light would shine and bring light where it's needed. I hope that more than one of you are sitting on the couch at 5.30 this afternoon thinking about this glorious invitation that has come to all of us from Jesus. Love which requires us to take a different point of view. Love which enables us to be vulnerable with one another so that when we look at the people around us, we interact with them differently. Love which is hard and unnatural and costly. The work of choosing a different way. The work of choosing the way of Jesus. It's going to be easier with the people out there when we can do this. And it's going to be easier with the people that are close to us when we can do this. And, and when we can do this, then we're going to become the community which Jesus intends. And thank God for that, because what the world around us needs is a community that is growing as Jesus intends. Yeah, amen. I want to tell you one thing before I close. The challenge of loving is a big one, but listen to these words. This is the truth. We love because God first loved us. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. If that language is hard to grasp, it simply means so that God could deliver us from the pit in which we would have gone on sinking in forever, if not for his gracious deliverance. And John goes on to say this, he died not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. For people who don't pull out fast enough, or who drive too fast behind you in the fast lane, or aren't quick enough in the checkout line, for kids who are insufferable, for a spouse who's so self-centered, for literally everyone, for that obnoxious person at the church who should know better, but they don't. And so our invitation 
is to receive the love of God by reflecting it to the people around us and in that way to be uniquely free. What do you say? Let's pray. God, would, would you open every heart now, even wider than they've been opened so far, so that your love could be poured in and every one of us could be thrilled by the thought that because of your grace, we've been transposed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Before we could have thought the right thing or believed the right thing or done the right thing in Christ, you've come to die our death for us, to remove the record with its demands, to take that away and nail it to the cross, even to put our old selves to death so that from now on we could live for the one who died and was raised again for us. And then would you put into our imaginations the beauty of what that living might look like in mundane and in small ways. In taking steps to tell someone who we trust how hard it is for us right now. And would that be our act of love? And then to turn away from ourselves and to look at others and to see how we can support and tolerate and endure the people that you've put in our paths, not first of all for our sake or even for their sake, but for the sake of the world which you loved so much that you died for it. And then would you make Renaissance Church a strong and a brilliant and a mighty community for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray together, amen.